Welcome to Four Speed Ahead. I'm Craig Fuller here with Kristen Johnson, a partner at Taylor & Associates. Uh, Taylor & Associates defends trucking companies uh, legally. Uh, Kristen, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Craig? Doing well. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Taylor & Associates before we dive into this story, this $411 million jury uh, settlement. I don't know what we call it, settlement or jury award, I should say. It was a verdict. Jury verdict. Uh, yes. So let's talk a little bit about that. But before we dive into it, tell us a little bit more about Taylor & Associates. We are a boutique trucking and transportation logistics law firm located in the heart of Central Florida with an office. Our main office is in Winter Haven, Florida. We like to call it um, an interior corridor for trucking. And I'm out in our Tampa Bay office, um, which was newly established this summer. But we are a boutique law firm. That's all we do is handle any matter you can imagine relating to trucking, transportation, logistics. We function as outside counsel to a lot of motor carriers. We also work with brokers, shippers, um, and other logistics companies. A question, when do you guys typically get engaged? Is it is it when the carrier is getting sued, or are you actually in getting engaged earlier in Maybe there's a, an accident with the fatality. The, the carriers call you at that moment? Um, it's a little bit of both. Uh, generally on a bodily injury, personal injury defense, um, we will be, well, two ways. We will be assigned by insurance companies. Although, to be honest, we don't do a whole lot of insurance defense work. We do some of it. But where we do it is the other way. We do it with clients who we've had long-standing relationships over time, and we're appointed as counsel because we serve as outside counsel to those companies, and we know them so well that it makes a lot of sense for us to defend them. Um, that's when we get put on. So we have relationships with companies, and a lot of times we do see this stuff coming up before a lawsuit is instigated because we're doing everything for the company. We're doing their broker-carrier agreements. We're doing you know all their claims disputes. We're doing all that stuff. And then if an injury happens or something occurs along the way, usually we're one of the first phone calls. Kristen, let's talk about what made the headlines a $411 million jury verdict. What happened here? That's a huge number. <laughs> it is. It's such a big number. It's caught everyone's attention. I think it's, I think it's definitely the biggest nuclear verdict we have seen. Um, and so... Well, what caught my attention actually was the community starting to talk about this because they were saying that um, this company, Top Auto Express, had defended itself in a jury trial. This is in Florida. I'm a Florida lawyer, and I thought, what on earth? How can a company defend itself on a jury trial? That's actually against the rules in Florida. Um, and so I went and looked up the case to figure out what was going on. And um, it was actually a jury trial against the company, but it was only on the damages portion. They actually had a finding of liability because they um, failed to cooperate and did not respond throughout the course of the litigation. And so ultimately, plaintiff's counsel moved for a default judgment against this particular trucking company, not all the other defendants in the case. The case is still going on against those other defendants right now, but against Top, um, Top Auto Express, there was a default judgment, which means there was a finding of liability um, and they never showed up for that. And it was kind of the reason the default was entered is, is basically a form of extremely severe sanctions when you stop responding as a defendant in a lawsuit. But the judge won't typically give money damages on a default. That still has to be submitted to a jury. And that's the portion that did go to this particular jury actually on a Zoom trial. So all the jury members were appearing by Zoom. 
And after a presentation by the plaintiff's lawyers, there was there were no there was no defense represented at that jury trial. No one showed um, because the lawyers had already withdrawn at that point. And after a presentation of the damages evidence, that's the number the jury came down with. So, Kristen, I imagine basically they weren't. There was a trial. Uh, was was did it even was there an actual physical trial that the judge heard? Uh, basically heard the position of the folks that were suing uh, Top Auto? Yes, there was an actual trial. It was conducted by Zoom. So there would have been a judge presiding over the trial. The judge had already been very active in the case and had, it was the judge who issued the default judgment, meaning a finding of liability against the motor carrier Top Auto. The judge did that, but then there was a full jury trial. The plaintiffs were still required to show up to put on all of their evidence of damages and a jury sat at their, I guess, home or office desks or their phones or wherever and participated in a full Zoom trial in order to come out with that damages award. Now, I imagine the judge was pretty offended uh, as well as the jurors that the company wouldn't even show up to defend itself. Yes, it was clearly an issue in the case. Um, the case was in Gadsden County. It's the second judicial circuit in Florida. I looked it up. You can see all the activity in the months leading up to the jury trial on the damages. And there were, um, there were many discussions about the severity of sanctions involved when a company just doesn't show up. Even if you look at the at one of the complaints, the plaintiffs have filed actually four complaints in the case. They amend over time, so you might get information and you amend it from your original complaint. And even when you look at the most recent copy of the complaint on the file, in that complaint, the defendants say that this particular motor carrier, Top Auto, had never responded and that they were basically skirting service. So you couldn't serve them with the complaint. They were avoiding that. And then there's a lot of discussion in the file that shows um, that was very upsetting to the judge, and it resulted in what we would consider. I mean, the judge even used the phrase severe sanctions for abandoning the case. That's how the judge phrased it. Yeah, I've, I've had a situation where trying to get somebody served and they keep avoiding it, and that just really sets a bad precedent and thinks it sends a really bad signal, frankly. So, Kristen, obviously, this company made a lot of mistakes. Uh, with the, the verdict size was outlandishly big. Is that ever going to get collected? No, it will never get collected. Will they get it? <laughs> will the, will they get anything? Um, they might get an insurance payment. I, it depends on the position of the insurer. This is stuff that, as outside litigators, we don't really have insight into the insurance layer on this because a lot of that's in the background and is not on the public record because it's not something the jury would really be considering. But um, we presume there is insurance there. There was a uh, defense counsel for a good period of time. And then my educated guess is that because this defendant, Top Auto, was not cooperating and not responding, that finally the insurer said, okay, well, then we don't have to comply with our contractual obligation to pay for counsel and allowed counsel to withdraw. Um, but there's probably some insurance money there that will get paid out. Also, I mean, I think it's debated, at least in the in the legal industry, but plaintiffs' counsel probably are pretty happy to have the biggest verdict number in, the, I think, the history of the United States. 
on a case like this. And, um, you know, they can use it for advertising. I'm sure it will feed into the way they approach um, the rest of the case with the other defendants that are in the case. Um, so it might help get them a leg up strategically there. Um, but no, this will never be collected in its entirety. It's, um, it's interesting that there really are no limits on what the jury can do. Um, they obviously had free reign to come up with that number, but um, it, it's as a piece of paper, as an award, it's, it's essentially meaningless for collection, but it might have some other meaning for plaintiffs down the line. So they still want that big number. I mean, I think it would, it looks like it would encourage, uh, like you said, the, the counsel for the folks that we're suing can go around and advertise this. It doesn't seem like there's any winners in the trucking industry out of this. It seems like it's a really, not only is it a big number, but it's, it's a black eye for our industry that this happened. Yeah, it is. And it, I mean, it's a whole, it's that whole issue of lawsuit abuse um, reform that's out there with a lot of the um, trucking companies now or trucking trucking organizations trying to work on some kind of tort reform because the consequences of it are so extreme. Um, at the end of the day, it's the consumer who ends up paying the increased cost of insurance that results from these type of um, verdicts. It, you know, it, it goes back to costing the trucking companies more um, on their insurance and they can't put as much money into their safety programs. So there's a whole lot of problems when you have companies just shelling out tons of money on these big verdicts um, that are largely being addressed by the industry right now. So, Kristen, I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, nuclear verdicts are, this is sort of a phantom nuclear verdict, if you will. It's a real nuclear verdict awarded, but it's phantom in the sense that it won't get paid out. But there are a lot of nuclear verdicts that do get paid out. Last year, we reported on a company that actually had to file bankruptcy because they couldn't afford the $68 million nuclear verdict. What can carriers do to protect themselves from uh, these types of verdicts? Um, well, that is a very good question. I think that's actually a big complaint in the industry among motor carriers because despite essentially doing everything they're supposed to do, they're complying with the regulations, they're getting the required insurance, they're for the most part cooperating in litigation, right? In the case you're talking about, it presumes there was a cooperative defendant, they didn't lose their defense counsel, they went all the way through to trial and they still ended up with a giant judgment against them that ultimately put them out of business. Um, so what can they do about it? I think they can work with their um, their their state and even the um, federal trucking organizations to try to get behind some tort reform might be helpful. Um, of course, you can um, work on your safety and compliance programs so that you can start to preempt the arguments that might come down the line from plaintiff's lawyers when they're trying to show liability, for example, by not sufficiently training your drivers or not implementing your own handbooks or policies on safety and training. Um, of course, I always say get a lawyer so we can come in and root around and look at where there might be weaknesses in your system so that if you do have exposure, you're able to defend better by taking some of those proactive, preemptive measures. Um, but there, it's, it's very difficult, and it's a common complaint in the trucking industry that Everyone is trying to play by the rules, and even when you play by the rules, sometimes you get these situations that run you out of business. Yeah, it's it's pretty insane when you think about what can be done, or how big yeah. these claims can be, and 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 very few companies can, you know, write a thirty million, fifty, hundred million dollar check or bigger uh, if they end up in the situation. And I think it's 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 not that 
it's almost as if if you run a trucking company, it's a matter of time that you're going to end up in an accident, end up in a courtroom versus uh, whether it ever happens. It's just the nature of our, our business, the nature of our system. What can carriers do if they have an accident and unfortunately have a fatality? What are the steps that they should take from the moment that that happens to uh, give them the best chances of odds of settling uh, and not ending up in front of a, a jury? I think one thing they can certainly do is have an action plan in place and ready to go so that if and when there is some kind of accident, they are able to preserve the data that they need, um, get someone out there on the ground immediately, whether it's, you know, you sometimes insurance agents have programs where you can call and get someone out there immediately when it happens. A lot of law firms have programs where you can pick up the phone and call, but whatever your plan is, have a plan in place so that I can't. The question that drives me the most crazy is when we're trying to defend something and we say, does anyone have pictures of what happened? And, and the answer is no, we didn't get out there. We chose not to go and investigate that. Take the time to go and get those pictures, preserve everything you can, get your witness statements started and get help in doing that. I think getting your insurance involved immediately, it, usually it is um, involved immediately, but getting someone out there to actually preserve the information and you know, go overboard on that information gathering at the outset, I think it does help in the defense. Um, of course, it's not going to absolve you of liability if there's liability, but it is going to help answer questions that maybe plaintiff's lawyers might try to take advantage of if there's a factual gap. Um, because one thing I read recently is that plaintiff's lawyers are becoming increasingly skilled at storytelling. And it's true because part of being a lawyer is being able to tell a story. You have to explain to a jury you know, what happened and why some party's response was or was not adequate under the law. And to be able to describe that story and convey that information in, in, a, in a real human-to-human -human way is important. And when you have factual gaps, meaning you don't have the photos or you don't have the witnesses or whatever about something that happened, that leaves a lot of room for imagination. Um, and so to the extent you're able to have hard information from the beginning, I think that really gives you a leg up in the defense. Now, I know some trucking executives are always scared of having photos, data, forward-facing cameras because they're afraid it's going to be used against them. But you're, you're actually saying the opposite, which is you should take uh, photos to eliminate any of the questions that may be arise. I, I think there's a debate in the industry about that, but I find as a defense lawyer, um, it's it's most helpful to just face the facts. You can you want to know what the facts are and face them so that you can deal with them. And you should never assume that the facts won't come out. So, you know, you're kind of rolling the dice there if you take the view that we don't want the information. Now, that said, I think there's a lot of balance to that. I certainly advise corporate clients on an extremely regular basis to have data and document retention policies, including the regular purging of information because sometimes you don't need to have information way down the line. If you have 15 years of records or video feed, maybe you don't need that. Um, and there's some risk inherent with saving all of that and some damage control you can do by regularly getting rid of it. But if you have an accident that happened or you know, cargo claim or something and you need to find out what happened, I think having that information is really valuable for the defense. And Kristen, is there a correlation to the type of accidents that have the highest uh, payouts or awards? Is it fatalities, obviously, probably uh, involved in it? 
negligence, alcohol, are those things that you typically see that uh, sort of get the highest awards in these situations, or is there other factors there? Yes, um, those are those are all factors. Interestingly, this case was not a fatality. Um, there, it was an injury, and I think um, in the reporting, it was you know it was pretty severe injuries is what it, it was alleged. I really don't know; it's not my case, but it was not a fatality. But those definitely garner the higher verdict amounts. I um, can only guess what drove the jury to this high verdict amount, but I think part of it was they were especially upset at the notion that this defendant would cause an injury and not show up. Um, I certainly see uh, jury impressions of both the defendant, meaning the trucking company, and the lawyers as influencing these verdict levels. Um, I have done post-verdict jury interviews, and I've done them in trucking cases where I've asked, you know, in a neutral way, what did you think about plaintiff's lawyer? What did you think about defense counsel? And usually I get a response that no one liked any of the lawyers, which doesn't doesn't bode well for my profession, um, you know, but there's a lot of distrust in hearing what the lawyers are saying. And so I think um, to help curve some of that, if you have really good people at your trucking companies who are able to get up there and be honest with the jury, answer questions in a truthful, non-combative way, show, hey, you know what? We're trying our best. We want, we're, we're here to help the American people move stuff from point A to point B, and we're here to do it safely. We comply with the regulations. We have already thought about all of these safety requirements and have compliance plans and programs in place to ensure that we have strong safety you know, procedures and other policies that we're following. And then we implemented that here. And if you have someone who's able to get up there and say that and be honest with the jury, I think that's going to go a long way. The question, one thing we heard during the COVID crisis, again, I don't know if we're in the crisis, after the crisis, or what this is, but the COVID quarantine is that logistics and trucking companies are viewed with a much higher degree of respect than they have in the past. Is that continuing, or are we past the days where we're back to where things were before and people, uh, ha again, have have a, a more negative view of trucking than uh, uh, than what they would otherwise? of other industries? I am not sure. Much love uh, from me to the trucking industry, and we definitely see a lot of that. Um, I mean, they're working night and day to keep things moving, and I think their hard work is what's contributed to in, even in part to the way our economy is faring um, through all of this because everyone has proven to be so diligent and agile through the crisis or continuing crisis that they have done a lot, and there has been a lot of love to to truckers and to motor carriers in general. I think there's a lot more awareness of the industry now from the consumer level. Um, and of course, the consumer level, level is your jury pool, right? If you try to bring it over to something like this case, I think perhaps, I hope perhaps this case was a bit of an anomaly because the trucking company wasn't behaving itself. It didn't show up. The judge was angry. The plaintiffs are going to espouse that anger when they're talking to the jury and tell them, look at how, well, you know, this person, this trucking company caused an accident and then they run. It's a hit and run, right? If I was a plaintiff's lawyer, I'd totally be like, this is a hit and run. They have, they have ran and they're not showing up. And that's going to incite the jury to um, give a much higher award. But I don't, think that that is necessarily a reflection of how the community feels about trucking today. And at least in my industry circles, in the trucking community, um, there has been a lot of love for 
the industry and what they're doing. And I think we're even seeing that um, in the continued support of the industry. Obviously, all the consumers at home are still purchasing their stuff, which is helping move the industry forward. And retail businesses have opened up a lot. Um, and we see, you know, just the, the general state of the industry right now is strong um, with a lot of limited, well, a lot of capacity filled. Um, it looks like it's going to continue that way for a while. Yeah, someone had told me that jury trials actually were going to settlement or, or court cases are going to settle a lot faster during the quarantine. I, I don't know if that was just uh, anecdotal or was fact, but uh, it's interesting to hear the perspective. It's always good to hear that the industry is getting and gaining a level of respect that perhaps it hasn't uh, gotten in the past. So hopefully that comes out. Well, Kristen, how can folks get a hold of you at Taylor if they have questions or want to get a consultation or have something that uh, perhaps needs your attention. Thank you. I'm, um, well, you can look us up. It's taylorlawpl.com. I'm on there. My partners are on there and the rest of our team. Um, you, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there very easily. Kristen MJ Johnson. There seem to be a lot of Kristen Johnsons in the world. So be careful who you're talking to. You should make sure it's this Kristen Johnson right here. And, uh, or you can email me, Chris, it's kjohnson at taylorlawpl.com. Kristen, really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, enjoy the conversation. Thanks for giving us the uh, clarifying a lot of that really big headline and a lot yeah. of clarity behind it. So thank yeah. you for coming on today. But also, more importantly, show up. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice. Really appreciate bringing that up. Uh, thank, thank you for your time today. If you're interested in more content from FreightWaves, you can download the Apple uh, Freightways TV app on the Apple uh, TV devices. You can also get us on Roku or just go to tvfreightways.com where you can get all of the content that we put out available. We also put them on podcasts. So if you're driving uh, perhaps in your semi or sitting uh, at uh, your offices or at home, you can also tune in and listen to the content uh, through the Freightcast platform, which is available on all platforms that have podcasts, or all major platforms that have podcasts. Um, appreciate you coming in, uh, Kristen. Thank you for your time today.